you know, when you do things that you don't love and when you do things just for validation and external approval um, of the people that you love the most and care for the most and want that validation from the most, you feel it in you. Like you feel like whole. And for me, I felt it and it just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper with every single day. And, you know, I think like different people have different ways of coping with it. I had my way of coping with it. And But at some point, it becomes so much that you decide like whether you're going to completely check out and just go full on autopilot zombie mode, right? Or whether you're going to kind of like face what's going on inside you. And so I just woke up one day and I remember just being like, I can't take another day of this. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I hit like this breaking point. What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? Understandably, a tough question for any 20-something to answer. So join me, your host, Taylor Marks of the Rise Year Podcast, as I talk with some cool people about what they do and occasionally go on long rants of my own about the pains of growing up. Today's guest is Conscience Singh, poet, and founder of Crumbs and Whiskers, a cat cafe with locations in both DC and LA. Grew up in India, was born and raised there, moved around. So was born in like a tiny town called Jamshedpur that no one's ever heard of for good reason. And then moved to a city in the South, like later on in my childhood, and then moved to the US when I was 13. Moved to Maryland, went to school at UMD, first tried like I was hardcore trying to please my father right so like first did like aerospace engineering literally picked like the hardest engineering you could pick and then it was kicking my ass and then a semester in I was like okay I need to change my major change it to computer science still not working then changed to business, which, you know, my dad thought was very shameful. And so within business, I picked like finance and IT and I double majored in finance and IT and got a minor in entrepreneurship. And I think that's kind of where like, you know, I remember being in college and learning what social entrepreneurship is, which is the idea of having businesses that actually give back to their community and help their community. And at the time, Tom's was becoming really big of how you buy a pair of shoes and then you give a pair of shoes to a child. And I remember the only thing that I studied in college that lit me up, that made me feel really good was social entrepreneurship. And I kind of had this idea of like, when I'm older, I'll be a social entrepreneur, you know, but for now I need to do all these things that I'm being told to do. And so right out of college, I took a job with Accenture in IT. And, you know, when you do things that you don't love and when you do things just for validation and external approval um, of the people that you love the most and care for the most and want that validation from the most, you feel it in you. Like you feel like a whole. And for me, I felt it and it just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper with every single day. And, you know, I think like different people have different ways of coping with it. I had my way of coping with it. And, but at some point it becomes so much that you decide like whether you're going to completely check out 
and just go full on autopilot zombie mode, right? Or whether you're going to kind of like face what's going on inside you. And so I just woke up one day and I remember just being like, I can't take another day of this. Like, I can't do this anymore. And I hit like this breaking point. And travel and animals had always been a source of joy for me. And I hadn't felt joy in so long that I was just like, I need to do something for myself. And so I booked a trip to Thailand to volunteer at this elephant sanctuary that I was in love with. And I had dreamt about volunteering there. And it was just another thing that was on my bucket of like one day, right, in the distant future. And so anyway, so I went to Thailand and went to this elephant sanctuary. And not only did I feel alive again for the first time in years, I kind of like reconnected with I really need to do something that helps animals. Like I love animals and that's where, that's what I need to do. And I love the model of the elephant sanctuary as somebody who had worked in rescue, like volunteered in rescue all my teens because the elephants roamed free and people paid to see them. And that money was used to take care of the elephants. And I was like, this would be so cool for homeless animals that instead of being in cages, they would get to roam free. And we like that could be afforded because the people coming in aren't coming in for free. They're actually paying, you know? So that was kind of the beginning seeds of the idea of the cat cafe, because that's how it works. And, but I still didn't, like, I was like, nobody's going to go pay to go see dogs and cats. Can't do like, what the hell? So anyway, so I just, I just didn't really think too much of it. And then in that same trip, kind of on my last day, these two people that I'd met in hostels, this German guy and this British guy who had been watching me feed every stray dog and cat in sight, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I picked on to the fact that I love animals, took me, it was my 24th birthday. They took me to a cat cafe for my birthday. And when I walked into that cat cafe, it was like walking inside the answer to the question I'd been asking. You know, it was like I was in the answer. And I was like, wait, people would pay for it if it was like coffee and this cool experience and like all of this stuff. And in Thailand, they don't really do rescues and animals. Like, it's just not a thing. But I just thought in the US, it would be so cool. And so that night when I got on my flight back, I didn't even have a notebook. So I was just like getting United napkins. Like I swear the, 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 the attendants were like, what is this girl needs so many napkins for? But I had like a stack of napkins that I basically mapped out the crumbs and whiskers business plan on. Like I did not sleep. It was like a massive flight, like very long flight. And I came back to the US and I was like, so stoked. I was like, this is going to be amazing. And then I thought I'd be the first cat cafe in the US. But then when I researched, I would be the third, like San Francisco was already like there was plans for one opening in San Francisco and another one opening in New York. And I was like, of course, makes sense. And but of course, and I don't know how much you want me I can because I can keep kind of I guess I'll keep going a little bit more. But you know, obviously, when I shared, well, I don't know if it's obvious. But when I shared the idea with my friends and my boyfriend at the time and my parents, like their eyes were like glazed over, you know, like when you're telling somebody something that you think is the greatest thing and they're like, you're delusional. What happened on your trip? Where like, did you leave your brain back in Thailand? So anyway, so everyone was just 
it was met with a lot of like ridicule because, and, and, you know, cat cafe will still get that. But at that time, back in like, this was 2014 when like none of us had ever heard of a cat cafe, it just, the concept was like very laughable to a lot of people. And so I was just getting a lot of, a lot of that, which is very heartbreaking to experience when you've had like this massive moment of inspiration and you feel like you found your thing and you finally feel good and alive after like years of feeling dead inside. And then people are like, this is so dumb. And you're just like, wow. So anyway, so yeah, that was, you know, I started working on it and it took a lot to keep working on it. You know, I luckily I feel like my heart is like this navigation system that I have that just tends to be, my head is very loud. It somehow tends to be, have a force that can override the the loudness of my head, which I'm just so grateful for because otherwise I would just spin up here in my head and not follow my heart, you know? But yeah, something in me was just really saying, no, this is this is going to be great. Like, trust this. And so despite being terrified out of my mind, like I've never like, no, actually since then there've been other things that have terrified me out of my mind, but like up until that point in my life, nothing had terrified me as much as this terrified me. And I doubted myself every single day, questioned my sanity like every week, but I just kept working on it. And When it opened in DC, like that summer, the two big things that were happening in DC were the Taylor Swift 1989 concert and the Cat Cafe opening, which I was not anticipating it to become like the talk of the town, it just did. And you know, the first first day that we opened bookings, our booking system crashed because so many people were trying to book tickets. By the end of our day, we'd sold $22,000 in tickets. And these are 10, eight and $10 tickets. Like they're not that expensive. And, you know, our first day we had like a line out the door, like around the block. People were so pissed that we were fully booked that one lady actually broke down our door. And you don't want to break down the door at a cat cafe because the cats can run out. And so like, it was just, you know, a whole scene. And I, I, yeah, it became really successful in DC. I opened another location in LA the next year. And then after that, I hit another kind of like interesting curveball where my mental health crashed. And it had already kind of, I think, I think the inklings were there. I think the sort of the crashing was like my mental health was declining as we, once we opened the stores and we became successful, I just wasn't paying attention to it. And it just suddenly got to a point where my imposter sister syndrome was like slowly growing. And just suddenly after the LA cafe success, like, I feel like I hit maybe, maybe we all have this, maybe we all have a level of success we're comfortable with and a level of like, whatever that we're comfortable with. And the second we break through whatever that ceiling might be for us, we are faced with our own stuff. Like some of our like deep stuff, you know? And like, I just, I didn't realize what was happening at the time. All I knew was I couldn't sleep. I was so depressed. I wouldn't eat for days. I was so anxious that I wouldn't stop working. Like literally I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm working like 20 hour days. Like what I was doing was insane. My employees are obviously leaving because they're like, what is happening? So like people in my company are not happy. They're like, we think she's insane and are quitting left and right. But I didn't have the ability at the time to step back and go, 
something, something's wrong. You know, I just was caught up in all of it. And I had a mentor who kind of told me, she was like, you know, over the years, you've said things that have made me go, I think she needs therapy, but I really think you need therapy, right? And as an overachiever, as somebody who only looks at the future, the idea of looking at the past, honestly, to me was silly. I kind of was like, who cares? So what, you know, like, and if something's wrong with me, like, tell me how to fix it now, create a spreadsheet and I'll follow the spreadsheet, you know? So, but what I also knew was something was wrong and like, it wasn't getting better. It was only getting worse. And so I was like, okay, I'll check out what therapy is. I'll kind of see. And I did not realize what I was the like cans of worms that I was about to open, you know, like I didn't realize because I had a very intense childhood. Like when people talk about their childhoods and they say like, what's your favorite memory? Where did you love to go? I'm like, people remember this stuff. Like people have favorite memories. Like my entire childhood was one big black screen and I'd repressed it. And there were many reasons I'd repressed it, you know, not, not being aware of that. I just thought it was this weird thing about me because I was so weird. Here's another weird thing about me. Right. And so anyway, so when I started, I think, I think I was 26 when I started therapy. So I opened my company 22, 21 was when I graduated from college, took on Accenture. 23, 24 was when I left Accenture, started my own company. 26 was when my mental health crisis got so bad that it was like sink or swim. And so, and that was when I started therapy. And one of the first things I did was I stopped growing my company and I stopped working like crazy. And I, I like, I actually did something drastically different where I worked like very, like, like three days a week or something and going from like seven days constantly, you know? And I started to like really look at my childhood and my past, even though, and I'm, you know, people who meet me now and who saw me between like 24 and 26, like it's, they're like, you're not the same person. It's not even like day and night. It's not like earth and Mars. It's like one solar system to like another solar system. Like that's how massive the, sh the shift is. But at the time when I was kind of, what I didn't realize was I was a deeply sensitive child, deeply emotional child. And you know, when a child like that goes through a lot of trauma, you learn to completely shut off your sensitivity. You learn to completely shut off your emotions, which is what I had done. Like in my 20s, I called myself emotionless all the time. And I was like, I'm not human. I'm a robot. Like, I don't know. I don't know why I'm made this way. It's just, I was convinced, right? That that was who I was. And no wonder nobody liked me, especially my employees. And in therapy, I kind of started realizing like, or started like, like opening back up, right? Like started kind of being like, oh, I have emotions and I am sensitive. And another kind of thing in the same way that I never saw the cat cafe coming when I went to Thailand, like truly, I didn't go on that trip to find the idea for my business or whatever. I just went on that trip because I felt dead inside and I needed to do something that brought me joy. And so in that same way, I started therapy just to deal with my stuff, right? But the when I started opening up my emotions and I started opening up my sensitivity, I started writing. 
I started writing poetry. I started writing prose. I suddenly like became this like writer. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I have never written a single poem in my life. And it's like, I started yesterday and it's like been today and I have like six and they're pretty good. Like, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, like, it's not like it's trash. It's like, it could be published. And so I was like, started having kind of like an identity crisis because I went from being essentially my father, very cold, calculated, judgmental, critical, who I thought I needed to be essentially as a CEO, right? Because as a woman of color, as a woman, as a sensitive person, none of those things fit with the title of a CEO for me. So like, I realized all this looking back that the second I had that title, I changed. I became somebody else to like fit the bill of who that person looked like in my mind, which was my father. And so I'd been being him for all these years and all of a sudden I'm writing poetry about my emotions I'm crying all day <laughs> when I haven't cried in years. I was like, this is, so anyways, I had a bit of a identity crisis and it took me a lot of deep, deep, deep self-work. Parse out in myself, what's trauma? Like what's coming from trauma? What's coming from beliefs that my parents had about me? Beliefs that the world had about me? Beliefs that they had about themselves? And then where's the real me? in all of, you know, it's like buried underneath all of that. And to like dig, now I have two autoimmunes, which I developed during that time. And a lot of health stuff that I actually developed during this time of like deep self-work. And I've now learned that emotions and our physical health are completely connected and had to kind of go or went, chose to go to the darkest and deepest places inside myself. Because in the same way that I said, I've just have this like heart that like the power of it is luckily louder than like the voices of everyone else. And my heart kind of just told me like, this is the most important thing you can do. Like, I just knew that deep in my being that like this was the most important thing I could do. And this would lay the foundation for everything else. About a year into therapy, doing deep self-work, feeling all this stuff. And, you know, I'm looking at trauma of like, molestation at like four or five years old, sexual abuse, sexual assault, physical abuse, being beaten. So very like intense, heavy stuff. Immigrating to the US, blah, 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 which like on the spectrum isn't that bad. So it was just a very intense time. And I'd been writing and writing and writing and writing because it was the only way I knew how to not drown in my emotions. It was the only way I knew how to process what I was feeling. I don't know if you experience this, but like for me, sometimes I can drown in an emotion, but if I listen to a song that's describing what I'm feeling or hear something, then I can almost release it. Like it's this interesting alchemy that happens. Or even if I can't release it, I'm not like, it's not trapped. It doesn't feel kind of like held within me. And so that's why I was writing that's what I was writing, just to like be able to like let go or to be able to like kind of express things. And a year in, I realized that I'd read books and I'd seen books that were about healing and doing self-work. I'd also read and seen books that incorporated therapy, but I hadn't, like when I looked at the kind of stuff I was writing and the poetry and all of that, I hadn't seen anything that actually took you to the emotional journey, right? Like it's like, there's kind of a, I'm telling a story. There's kind of like, I'm telling a story and it, it's emotional. And then there's like, 
a deep depth to like that emotional reality. And that's what people actually experience in therapy and self-work, at least the ones who are, you know, brave enough to dive in, in themselves. And I just, I, I just felt very inspired to write that book. I felt very inspired and it wasn't even like I'd be writing a book. It would just be that I would be taking my journal entries and putting them together as a book, you know? So I actually, in my book, haven't written anything to write a book, all of it, which is why I'm like, God, I can't like just this morning, I almost had like another meltdown because I was like reading parts of my book. And I was like, I can't believe I'm about to put this out there because this is like, the deepest, darkest of my own diary. Anyway, so another thing I never saw coming in the same way that I didn't see a cat cafe coming, you know, as an IT and finance major was poetry (laughs) and writing. Yet now I'm at a place in my life where I'm like, this is what I want to do. And it's really cool because when I started writing poetry and when I decided to write this book and when I was started to do kind of mental health it wasn't as big of a topic as it is today you know people are like oh my gosh your book is so timely I'm like god like I wish I could have heard that two years ago because I had to fight mountains of anxieties and fears because at that time nobody really cared about poetry and mental health and all of that wasn't really a big conversation you know it's just exploded so yeah it feels like it's perfectly timed but like it's you know like I'm just like it's like anyway that that's a whole other thing what I really want to do is I want to write more books I want to perform poetry like a spoken word is something I haven't touched yet and my heart is just so calling me to that and I really want and all of my stuff I think will probably always be about like women empowerment, healing trauma, healing the world, all of those things. Like just because not only has that been my journey, it's just what I care about. I care about animals. I care about the planet. I care about people. Like it's just who I am. And so, yeah, that's where we're at now. And, you know, with the pandemic, our stores closed, but now it's this like crazy pivotal time of my stores are reopening. My book is coming out, like everything's moving. So that's kind of been the story very zigzag story you've been busy been all over the place it sounds like yeah that was I've never spoken that long about my life so that was interesting I love it you gave me a lot of good talking points so we're gonna kind of backtrack a little bit the first of which is so you said you left Accenture and you went to Thailand and then you got your idea for the cat cafe while you were there a little while later you had the mental health crisis and you're like holy shit like I don't know what to do so do you think in a way having that idea was almost like a patch like you still like you probably you mentioned you had some inklings of some some stuff that was like boiling under the surface but they weren't quite addressed and like maybe you weren't ready to address them or nothing had quite like popped up enough for you to know what it was so do you think that's why you kind of went full force into this cat cafe even though you had those glazed eyes or or I guess kind of that slash like what was the reasoning to pursue it so I very much believe in like like a non-black and white kind of reality because the reality was I loved animals I loved animal welfare it truly was the right thing for me and what was coming in was my training that now you have to be this like massively successful entrepreneur 
and you have to do more and you know you have to like I come, I come from an immigrant family. And when I talk to immigrants, they really get this, like this survival mentality that's just instilled in you and like people of color too. And I think like when you, when I took this risk at 24, I was signing leases that were making me accountable personally for six figures and numbers if my business failed, right? Like those fears that had been put into me since I was a child of like, you won't survive. Like you have to take the safe path. That's the only way in the world. All of that got kicked up. You know, all my insecurities, all the things I was told that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't smart enough, that I wasn't capable enough, that I wasn't intelligent enough, kicks up when suddenly I'm signing dotted lines that's, that are putting way beyond what I have on the line that I'm going to be accountable for, suddenly it's like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm not capable of all of this. So it, it was twofold in that all of it was absolutely in my heart and I did it because I loved it and all of that. And the circumstances that it brought into my life kicked up all my insecurities and all these like beliefs that were put into me, which then how I responded to that and how, you know, we all have our own defense mechanisms, but how I responded to that was like morphing into my father, because that was the person that I knew that would be successful, that would like, that wasn't smart enough, who was intelligent enough, like I just became somebody else. And that's why I wasn't happy. But I was like, I still was happy that my business was saving cats. Now, what I, again, wasn't happy about because I didn't feel like it was saving enough. I was like, it, what does it matter? We've saved 200 cats this month, 2,000 died this month in DC and like 20,000 died in the US. So that same story of not good enough was playing in all aspects of my life. And you know, when you work so hard on something and when your dreams come true, but they're not good enough, it's a very, it's like, I just felt like it was, I was in an ocean and I just kept sinking and it just kept getting blacker and blacker and blacker because nothing was good enough. And it just kind of, I just didn't know how to make it good enough. I didn't know how to save every single cat in the US. You know, I didn't know how to guarantee my business would be a success. So I'm not suddenly owing the bank $500,000. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it was, it was both. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it definitely does and provide some, some other points. So what is your message for people that are kind of battling kind of that same dilemma of, you know, your insecurities are on the rise and you're trying to like maintain all of these balls and juggle them simultaneously, but also like mental health is like a thing and you're trying to instill these ideas that have been around for a little bit, but they're still like fairly new of like how to deal with stuff and process it. So what's your take on that for people just kind of getting into it? So you know how they say when you do things that make you afraid, you're doing something right. I believe in that. I truly do because Crumbs and Whiskers made me very afraid. And I don't know what my book is going to do, right? Like, I don't know. This is like I'm sitting on ground zero again with something that I hope does really well, but I have no idea how it's actually going to do. So I can't really say my book was a success and I was just something that terrified me. But I can say my company is a success and it's something that terrified me. And my book, just the process of writing it has been so cathartic. Like even if it doesn't go out in the world and do amazing things, 
that's, I still see it as a success and it terrified me, right? So I think that we need to do things that terrify us because too many people in the world are afraid to be afraid. And so they live in autopilot. But we have to also understand that when we do things that terrify us, our worst beliefs about ourselves, our deepest insecurities, our traumas, our limiting like conditionings and belief systems are going to be, we're gonna be standing face to face with them. And so like for me, it was getting therapists, getting other forms of like, I don't believe in just kind of therapy. I've done a lot of like spiritual healing and energetic healing and all kinds of interesting stuff that honestly is the reason why I'm still alive. Like I can say that with like 100% certainty. And so to, to really, what I would say to people is follow your heart, do things that terrify you and figure out a way to have a group of people, a community of people, because I also believe in community for humans, like who can help you face those things. Because I think we leave, we lose too many sensitive, beautiful souls who are faced with their own demons, who just didn't know how to handle, how to be in that situation. And like, I know I was almost one of them, you know? And so like, I don't think the answer is to not push ourselves and to not, to because I, I also see a lot of people in the name of mental health picking kind of medio- mediocrity or like picking not what lights them up, but like just kind of, and I think, with mental health and self-love, it's so confused. It's such a crazy, like, it's nuanced, right? There's no black and white. We can use it as an excuse to cover up that we're not really being ourselves and following our hearts because when we're being ourselves and following our hearts, our trauma, like for me, it was my pain of like not being loved or accepted because I was bullied very horrendously and including by my parents really. So like, if I'm being myself, that's so overwhelming that I could say it's better for my mental health to not be myself, right? But that's not the answer. And so what I would say is like, be, do the things that terrify you, be, be who you want to be. And that probably terrifies you for a lot of us. It terrifies us and have a support system in place that, that is really good. That really gets you, that feels good. And that actually knows how to like, handle these situations who can help you kind of like navigate that you know so again a very nuanced answer but like I've just lived through so much that I I just I never can say black and white things I used to say them all the time and I just can't like it's there's just so nuanced that's fair at what point I'm kind of curious about this either during kind of your life in general or recently have you felt the most you Mm-hmm. It's such a good question. I always feel the most me when I feel light. Like that's kind of when I know like the heavier I become and like, yeah, it's just this like kind of feeling and I'll go into like specific things I'm doing, but I want to like, just feeling wise, it can be just sitting and doing nothing. But if I'm light and if I feel kind of this lightheartedness and this like joy for no reason right like just to exist that's when I know I'm being myself and the heavier I feel the more I feel like what could go wrong what is going wrong am I like am I enough you know like that kind of stuff the heavier I'm feeling the more not 
like myself, I feel. I feel personally, I just, I feel I'm an artist. I'm like a creator. That's kind of what I've, as even though I was an IT person, like I am actually an artist. That's who I am. And so whenever I am making art, whether it's in my business or whether it's through poetry, I feel with other people. I think being ourselves like deeply and fully ourselves with other people is one of the most healing things I've ever experienced and then being accepted for that. And, and so, yeah, those are like, I've lucky, I've been lucky in the last, honestly, just a couple months to find people that like, I really can be myself with and who aren't like going country and, but like, are you sure you want to like put this book out there? And do you know, like writers don't really like, go, you know, like just people who are like, Hey, if it means a lot to you, I support you like that and being able to like be myself that's yeah that's when I feel the most like myself but all of them have like that one thread in common that I'm lighthearted versus heavier do you think you have to show up as yourself when you present to these people initially in order for it to be at that level yeah honestly I'm not thinking about it like so many different things I feel like kind of just happen underneath the surface. Like when I show up with people, if I sense that they're judgmental people, I am automatically not going to be myself. My defense systems are already unconsciously like reacting to that, you know, or subconsciously versus when I show up and I can just feel like warmth and love and acceptance from somebody like those kinds of people. I'm automatically like, like, I think as humans, we are such complex, nuanced beings that like we're constantly assessing our surroundings. We're constantly assessing other people and we're kind of like, going as far as our comfort zone allows us with those people it's kind of just naturally happening self-with or there may, may be like a lot of guards in place it's very kind of our body does it before we like do it ourselves I think yeah no for sure and it's definitely it's like one of those really interesting things that when you don't pay attention to it you'll just naturally revert back to like what you typically would do but then the minute you start paying attention to it you yeah. can like notice the smallest little changes and you're like oh just just pricks <laughs> you a little bit you touched on earlier that the only version of a ceo that you knew of was like your dad and so that whole idea that he encompasses, which kind of goes to like what businessmen kind of pursue and then what other people tend to pursue because that's typically what is mainstream media. So if I'm asking you now, what is your new definition like of a CEO, what would you say? I think that there's so many ways to be a CEO. Like I know what mine is being empathic being understanding, appreciating, not creating an environment where there's like that's fueled through like competition or more or not good enough, but instead creating an environment that's fueled through collaboration and appreciation of one another's work and understanding of each other and like support of each other if somebody's not able to show up in the way that you need them to, you know? So it's, it's a much softer, lighter, more kind of accepting way of being rather than this like I'm just gonna charge at 40,000 miles an hour and who gets left behind gets left behind whose leg gets broken gets broken like it doesn't matter you know like it's that was kind of where I was at yeah I you know which is I feel like it's just kind of to me and I'm not saying like I, I don't even want to say this is like men or women because I think that there's feminine and masculine energy and then 
we can all have them we all do have them both and so like it is very feminine for me now which like a ceo just wasn't that way for me before it wasn't this like feminine nurturing this idea of like more of like a creative nurturing loving understanding like archetype I didn't have that, but that is what it is to me now. But that's also because who I am, who that that is who I am. So like, it would be natural that that is how hopefully in an in an unhaunted, un PTSD, untraumatized way, I would show up as a CEO. How do people respond to that if they're not used to that type of management style? Yeah. So it all depends on who you attract. You know, luckily my company attracts people. Sorry if you can hear that helicopter. <laughs> The LAPD helicopters love circling above here. I don't know why. It depends on who you attract. There are so many people in the world who are starving for this, like who are just looking for it, you know? And so when those people find you, they are just like, oh my God, thank, like, I'm so happy this exists. I knew that it was out there somewhere in the world. And like, they give their 110%, like all their passion and all their love and all their caring. I mean, I love working with them because they are so happy to be seen and to be understood and to be appreciated and to be loved that they, and you know, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with like going back into dad mode. Like, in fact, just last night, I wrote an apology to two of my, to two of my employees because I was like, I've been really critical and I've been really stressed out because there's some money issues going on because of COVID and our reopening. And I know I've been taking it out on you guys, you know, and they emailed me back in the morning and they were like, thank you for acknowledging that because that was happening. And we were kind of just letting it, like we were just not saying anything and just trying not to take it personally. So it's not like it's this perfect, like nurturing, loving, you know, thing. It's very much, it's, I'm still, I'm still learning, but those people like give so much and when you mess up they understand when they mess up you understand it's kind of just this like it's just a give and take you know and it's lovely and it's amazing and then there's people who really don't which which happens again rarely because i think when you you know our branding and our marketing i think anybody who's like question mark doesn't even apply like it's the people who are like i love this that apply you know so like for the most part i actually get people who are just relieved that this exists in the world and want more of it sometimes i get people we definitely get people who are kind of more like question mark you know and in those cases, it's, yeah, I don't know. In those cases, I don't really, I've learned, I'm learning that to not take things personally or emotionally. And so in those cases, it's just like, okay, it's not your cup of tea and that's totally fine. So, and we'll go our separate ways. So yeah, so for the most part, I'd say because we tend to find the right audience, the response is like relief and excitement and passion and inspiration and acceptance. If you had to create a product, service, anything related to kind of spreading either that management style or just like that way of thinking to the world, what would you, what would you build? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, I don't think it would be a product because I, I here's the thing, I think people have power way more than products, way more than businesses, way more than organizations. I think it's in people, you know? And so the way I would go about it is 
finding somebody who's like who can be a spokesperson for that you know like how artists can make musicians can make such a big impact or like artists can because they're just talking about something and they don't even have to try they can just write a song about it like you know and then that's everyone's in love with it and that creates like a tidal change and I believe in that. I truly do. As somebody who spent my entire life trying and trying and trying, I actually believe that like not trying, like just kind of, so, so yeah, I guess the way to answer your question, the way I would go about that is finding somebody who believes from the bottom of their heart in that message, who can communicate it, who can ideally create art around it. Because truly I believe that movies like art is like causes cultural shifts and we don't even realize it. So I would go about, yeah, that I would find an artist who believes in that message and like puts it in the form of art that hits mainstream. That's that's my very sneaky way of going about it. <laughs> I'll be expecting a song by uh, someone in the near nearish future and I'll know I'll know yeah. who is behind it. You you'll know. You'll know the mastermind behind it. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting because I think I get kind of annoyed sometimes when I'll either watch YouTube or TV or something and I'll see like an artist who's talking about something and and I understand like the power that they have but also I'm like if you pick the wrong person then them trying to educate people on this message it just like doesn't it just doesn't fit and you're like why are you talking about this and like I'm not going to listen to you. That's why I was saying like truly believes it in their heart. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier about mental health and self-love getting kind of distorted because that's happening. You know, there's people who talk about self. I'm very intuitive. I can see deep into people. There's people who talk about self-love that I'm like, you're only talking about this because you don't have it in yourself and you don't want to face that. And so you'd rather say like, okay, I take a bath every Saturday with lavender bath bombs. It's like, that's not, I stay away from like causing change with products too, right? Because then products are like, if you love yourself, you're getting none of that. So I completely agree with you. And I think that you know, there are powerful people that like artists and different, I don't know if you've paid attention, like paid too much attention to like Jim Carrey or Hugh Jackman, like people that like really talk about some deep stuff that I'm like, you can tell they're hundred percent aligned with what they're talking about and they practice what they preach. And in those cases, and then there's movies too, that are a lot about like acceptance and whatever. And like, you can tell that the makers were like hundred percent behind it. And that's why it has that emotional impact when it's somebody that's not behind it we as an audience we're very intelligent like when you're watching somebody that may not be a hundred percent aligned with what they're talking about you're gonna feel it so of course you're gonna be annoyed because you're gonna be like this is adding to the confusion that already exists in the world it's only making it worse you know and so so yeah i i i hear you on that First of all, just quick note on that is Jim Carrey's video on like I Needed Color is phenomenal. And he is like a really cool guy when you kind of take him out of a context of some of his like quirky, weird movies and look yeah. at like him as an artist and what he does. I think more so now, I think he kind of grew into himself, but just very cool, full circle kind of thing. So the next question I want to ask is related to failure and so what event or experience was maybe deemed a failure at the time, either by yourself or society, but now kind of looking back was like a big pivotal turning point for you? For me, it was when 
I had a week where 80% of my employees quit and 100% of my management quit. This was the end of this week was when, you know, I decided to take a look in the mirror because I wanted, the beginning of the week was me pointing fingers at everybody else. By the end of the week, it was me looking in. And at the time it was a massive failure, right? Because I've lost most of my company, all of my management, like the employees. And if there's a CEO who can't, who can only keep 20, 15% of her employees, like what, like that is a colossal failure. Yet therapy was what got me writing. Writing is what got me to my book. You know what I mean? It was like a chain, like event reaction that began from this massive colossal failure. So that was one, but I, I can think of, I can think of so many, that was more of an internal failure rather than an external. People tend to look at failures as like more external. This was kind of more internal, but I've experienced this, this, yeah, this was the most pivotal one, I would say, because I don't know. I thought therapy was stupid enough that I don't know that I would have gone there unless I was like brought to my knees, which this event did. Were you more critical of the internal or external failures of yourself? Both. I was more critical of, like, I was, I would say I was equally critical. I was critical of the internal failures. Honestly, you know, I think the internal failures got me emotionally more because when things fail externally, or if people on the outside think that you're not a good person or think something negative of you, you can at least go to, well, they don't really know me. But then when like people on the inside reflect that stuff, they know you and you know that they know you. And so like, you know, I already had a lot of self-hatred and self-judgment and self-loathing that I was drowning in. But when people on the inside didn't like me and it was obvious to me that they didn't like me, that self-hatred amplified. Like somebody had turned it up all the way and it was like shaking the roof and the ground type of deal, you know? So I'd say like, internally is what got me more emotionally because it hit a deeper wound externally was I was what I was worried about more because I didn't want to look bad or whatever so I definitely like more on a mental level had more anxiety about the external but I had more pain about the internal and here you are now like I mean that's why I think your your journey is really cool. You're very vocal about it and you, and you can tell from talking to you and just reading your stuff online how much work you have put in and the impact that it's had on you and then this like impact that you're trying to have for other people and help them maybe not reach the same point that you did and to stop it earlier or if they are there like catch them before something else happens and they can navigate it successfully and and really like actually live life in an enjoyable manner like you look very happy right now even though you're a little sick as you said (laughs) thank you (laughs) when you start being who you are and doing what you love the joy follows you know it's really true and the more you heal there's this great book that i read where the analogy that was made was imagine a planet where there's a disease and everyone has all these sores all over their body and if you touch it it hurts and if you touch it they go I'm going to touch you back because you have all those sores to get you back because you just hurt me. And it said, this is our emotional state as people. And they're like, now imagine if you were there and you had healed skin, but nobody wanted to touch you because they think you don't have healed skin and they don't want you to touch them. Like, and so anyway, I share this story to say that like, you know, 
the joy and the like kind of feeling like as we heal that follows like you don't even have to think about like finding joy you don't have to think about like finding yourself it's the more you heal it's just natural we're meant to be ourselves look at children they're themselves before they're hurt and before they're filled with all these beliefs you know so yeah i've just found that joy is natural and i think it's natural for all humans again found very clearly in children and being who we are is our natural way of being any anything in nature like a tree isn't trying to be a mountain a tree is being a tree so anything in nature naturally does that so but yeah thank you i appreciate that yeah very that was a really interesting example there so my last few questions the first of which is if you had a book written about you what would the title Mm. of the book be Man, that is a wild question. I'm like, I need like five years to think about. Gosh, it would depend on like what it was written about. I guess if it was written about my story, it would be like, this is just what's coming to me. It would be like becoming magic because I feel like we all have magic within us and I've really started to find mine and become it. And I think like if my life story would show one thing, it's like the story of like becoming our own magic. So something like that. I like it. You could ask me like 10 later and I'd give you a different answer. But then you'd have more time to think about it. So then it might not be as natural of an answer. Yeah, exactly. You're catching me in my own game. (laughs) The next one is if you had 24 hours to live, unlimited money, and could travel anywhere at the snap of your fingers and bring whoever you wanted with you, what would you do? Okay, so if I have 24 hours to live and the unlimited money cannot be given away, it can only be used for me to travel. Is that what I'm getting? Because the first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, I'd give away unlimited money and like try and tackle like, I don't think you can tackle world hunger or animal welfare in 24 hours. (laughs) Maybe. But uh, that's, okay, so, so. (laughs) yeah you're like with unlimited money maybe I don't know you cause like a worldwide inflation before you leave now nobody can afford anything so so I'm gonna interpret that question as like I have unlimited money in the sense I can go wherever I want and I can bring whoever I want what I would do bring if I could bring whoever I want it would probably be like one of my heroes that I would spend the day with. I don't know that I can pick in this moment, but it would be like Hugh Jackman, Jim Carrey, Greta Thunberg, Malala Yousafzai, one of those four people for sure. I don't know who. They'd have to be a willing participant. Where would I go? I love food. So I would probably figure out what the best restaurants in the world, in the entire world are, and go to each one. Ooh, that'd be cool. Four meals with each four. Can I Can I do that? That's kind of cheating. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That's cool. All right. <laughs> the next one is, would you at 8, 10, 12, kind of whatever age you want to pick around that range, would she be happy with where you are now and what you're doing? Yeah, I think any of those ages completely, totally, I feel like I've, you know, I've done a lot of inner child work and I've connected with myself in those ages in a very real way. And I've felt the awe, like it sounds weird to say, but I've been, I've been in meditations where I've been my eight-year-old self looking at my current 30 year old self and I've cried in awe. And so, yeah, 
Yes, the answer is yes. In the next six to 12 months, kind of within that range, what do you want to accomplish either personally, professionally, and or both? Gosh, I really want to get into spoken word poetry so bad. I want to be a performer. So that and like putting videos online and like really like building my own platform in poetry and spoken word and writing and building myself up as a writer. I really want my book to do well. I just really do. And so with my book launch, I'm hoping that it'll do really well, that it'll the people who've read it so far have been like, I was crying the whole way through, like, dude, Jesus, it's an emotional roller coaster. And I'm like, okay, hopefully, like, it's only like five people who've read it so far, but I'm like, hopefully that's the response I'll get. So yeah, so, so being able to like be a source of catharsis for other women is probably what's going to happen because my experiences are very, what women go through to get into spoken word poetry and to build my own platform and to get Crumbs and Whiskers to a place where it doesn't need me anymore. That would be amazing. That's really what I'm trying to do with Crumbs and Whiskers is that it just runs beautifully on its own. There we go. Beautiful. The last question is, where can people find you? So my website is kanchanofficial.com. So K-A-N-C-H-A-N official.com. My Instagram handle is xkanchanx. My TikTok will eventually be here, but is not here yet. I've been, <laughs> I've been terrified of that platform and I need to get over it. When's the book come out? The book is, oh gosh, we just changed the date. Sometime in July. My two takeaways from a conversation with Kanchan are, first, take care of yourself. Digging deep is tough and difficult and gut-wrenching at times because it involves opening yourself up and figuring out where is this bleed. But if you dig deep enough to find the wounds and do actually stitch them up and heal them and take care of them, rather than just patching them, you're going to be much further along later. You're not going to have to deal with the same hurt and run in those continuous feedback loops of constantly getting hurt and running into the same issues. Instead, you'll be better for it. You'll have addressed what is wrong and you'll be able to move forward and no longer have that dead weight keeping you back. Second is the power of writing. Not only does it help you professionally connect the dots because everyone tells you you should write and there's a reason for writing. Writing is you processing what you're reading, what you're experiencing and going through and it allows you to understand the world around you. But writing also allows you to form links and your personal life and all of these aspects. It's the same thing as professional. and. Sometimes it's really difficult to talk about. You don't have the words to explicitly delineate what you're going through. But if you spend some time thinking about it and writing and just letting your conscious go, then you'll see that you'll end up in these very transformative places and having these thoughts that maybe you didn't even know were in your brain. 